And hey friends, thanks for tuning in. This week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about the upsides and the potential game-changing benefits for something like the coronavirus that we have right now. I know we're in the midst of it. There's a lot of negative talk going around, but I thought it would be good to just for a second profile what the coronavirus exposes in the global economy, personal habits, the news, and what we can do to change this moving forward in a positive direction. So if you'd like to listen to the rest of the episode, it's going to be about 10 to 15 minutes, so I hope you enjoy. We'll talk a little bit about real estate, but mostly it's going to be big picture stuff right now, okay? So, all right, talk to you soon, bye. Okay, we're just going to get right into it. This week, it's the second week of March here in New York City. And this week, tensions have been quite high in our lovely Big Apple. And people are worried about the coronavirus, okay? It's jumped from China, which has notably had decreased cases. South Korea, it's going pretty bad in Italy right now. And now it's in New York where there's quite a few cases. There's noticeably less people on the streets. Certain businesses are seeing downticks in revenue and activity. People are staying home from work. And, you know, future business is is being impacted. South by Southwest, I think Google and Facebook pulled out. So South by Southwest, people are pulling out of that. People are large gatherings like in soccer in Europe is being taken off the agenda for right now, not allowing crowds in. The Pope is not doing mass. Italy is on a full nationwide shutdown. There's about 700 cases in New York or sorry, in the United States of America. So people are taking this seriously and they probably should. You know, there's a little bit of, you know, conspiracy that the news is overblowing it. I don't personally think so because I've been reading a lot of articles from people from the CDC, infectious disease control, many sources saying that this is something to be concerned about. It's been spreading extremely fast. They're assuming that the first jump into humans was probably in late November There's a lot of conspiracy theories that it was some government agency or something like that that was uh, doing that. I don't think so. I kind of, at one point, I said, okay, yeah, that might be likely. But now I've kind of changed my mind. And I think that just because of our giant population centers, you know, a, a city like, or a country like China, they have many, many cities filled with a million people. They also don't have a lot of regulations on farming and beef production. They, a lot of people just go out and just get food of all types, ferrets, birds, bunnies, ant eaters, bats, and just eat them, which is, you know, fine, I guess. But um, some people are saying it's like culture, you know, if you're not being understanding of the culture, that's a problem. I don't think so. Um, 
But anyways, you get the point. You've been listening to other people on the news talk about the downsides of Corona, what's happening. Some people are saying it could be in and out. Some people said it's been here for a while. We're just realizing it now. And then other people are saying it could be something that's around for quite a long time. And it's it's more deadly and it spreads faster. But But the majority of data coming out now is that it is won't be a big deal compared to the international flu but people are at risk so you know just don't go to large gatherings if you're above 50 60 and you have respiratory problems just uh be very aware of that and take precautions like don't do things like go to karaoke at certain places don't be touching things in you know, high commuter places. And if you're sick, don't be an idiot and go somewhere. Like I've talked about it in the other episodes. I had someone who was sick conducting an open house and you could be an infector person. It's really all about these infector people. There's actually, this is actually a crazy one. There was a priest, a priest who had it, who was serving, you know, his whole parishioner or parish. That's what you call it. And he's, if you're one of these people that who could be a super spreader, you have to be aware of it. And, you know, the big problem, the big issue is not that the one of the issues that I'm reading about is that not that it's going to be a major problem, but the quickness in which it spreads and the severity of which the symptoms come on is that the medical capacity won't be able to handle that. That's the one big factor. So just keep that in mind. Um, but let's talk about the benefits of this situation right now, the good part, meaning something that's coming to light that I think was maybe overlooked because of how good the economy was going and focusing on like political issues domestically and wokeness and things like that. Uh, Here's my personal two cents, which I think is gonna happen politically, economically, and socially. Number one, I really think that the president and Congress, specifically for America, are going to see about the political implicate the actual real world implications of globalism and fighting with each other internally, not getting things done, not being prepared. A lot of people in the financial markets were not ready for this. It wasn't even a thought in the zeitgeist that a Walking Dead type situation would be possible. I'm not saying this is a Walking Dead type situation, but in the past we had things like SARS, MERS in the Middle East. We had mad cow disease. We had swine flu. So we've had a few of these things, but nothing that had this response that goes this quickly, that was this much of an issue. Um, in term, I mean, in terms of numbers, other things were, but... This one specifically, the response. And so number one, I think we need to realize is that the the dependence on China globally is just unsustainable. We can't, uh, not just us, America, but in general, we can't rely on China for all of these important cogs in the global economy because no one's launching warfare now. They can see this as putting a wrench on the global economy through 
the shutdown of trade. Trading totally stopped. They closed the border to China months ago. They, I know people in supply chain saying things are totally shut down till May. The upside is that cases have leveled out and are starting to decline, but they did institute authoritarian Chinese government old-fashioned lockdown. And we don't like that as Americans. And we should really think about what that means. Ships in the middle of the ocean, borders being closed, inventory just sitting out there in transit, specific things that you need to make the economy run to build things, to make products move, to make little doodads for your iPhone is all in jeopardy. And that means convenience. That means how the culture It's just like, let's take a specific example of Apple. Apple is one of the biggest invested. So many people are invested in Apple as the stock. So the stock price going down, not great. So many businesses rely on the iPhone. And if the iPhone has a shortage of supply or important people at this company are sick and the Chinese government maybe takes over factories if they wanted to institute an authoritarian takeover of a production facility, things like that. Not to, not to mention the intellectual property they've been stealing for a while but just think about that global reach that global impact of just one company i apple which is the big one of the biggest companies in the world just the squeeze that put on that that stock went from about 330 at an all-time high three weeks ago to i think it's about it was like 260 earlier today it went back up again but think about how many people's retirements and lifetime savings were put in jeopardy for the time being if people panic sold that was a bad idea but just think about that that reach that touch of this for a virus and i kind of thought about this virus as like a game-changing 2008 credit crunch or something like that or i didn't even want to say the other word with the the nines and the whatevers where it changed the whole global infrastructure we have closed borders to Turkey, closed borders to Iran, closed borders to, to Italy, closed borders to China. I'm sure I'm missing quite a few of them. What does that mean for the global economy? The upside is I think this brought this really into light. So I think that everybody really understands what a virus like Corona means or some authoritarian government who's... A, not paying attention to regulations, not paying attention to the, the, the health of their citizens through these wet markets and food production, their food supply chain, overdevelopment of putting 15 million to 60 million people in the greater Wuhan area and there's like 20 of those places. That's crazy. That's insane. So it's a stewing pot for all this germ warf, like germ stuff and just bad combination. And then the another upside is that, you know, I think, so hopefully the two sides to that. One, I hope the Western world and America says, this is a real deal situation. We need to, we need to pivot right now 
That doesn't have to happen right away, but we need to have multi-source factory manufacturing, bring some of it back. Maybe you need to go to India, Thailand, Africa, if you need the cheap labor to make it work, but you need to not be so pot invested on China. So from the American perspective, I think we've already been on that train, but I think from the Chinese perspective, which I hope I think will happen is that say, literally pollution just like evaporated like over like over not overnight but over three weeks four weeks it's been this way since almost the new year we're in mid march if you see pictures you can see the reduction of greenhouse gases and pollution in china taking shape and maybe citizens are gonna like that maybe it's something they're like you know maybe we overlooked this but now this is kind of nice and we can have if we have the, we've already gone through the hardship of shutting down business, imposing the government will on the people, showing them what's up, causing dis- disdain for everything, for the current situation. But then they're like, "Hey, look, this is c- crazy. Our, we can see the sky. We can breathe." And then maybe there'll be less of an issue with people getting um just understanding that there's a different way to the situation that china has been having right now and maybe it's something that the chinese government woke up to or the and the people woke up to okay so that's number one that's china that's our relationship to china as new york as um sorry america they're buying our debt they have our manufacturing And this is the last, I guess this is the last one I want to talk about China with and global supply chains, is the medicine. Something like 70 to 80% of all the base ingredients in in all medicines that go from generic producer India are all produced in China. So even though we get medicines from India and we feel we have medicine security, biosecurity, those precursors for all those chemicals and drugs and all the things we want all start in China. It has a lot to do with the fact that they don't want to open up their borders and, or sorry, they don't want to have regulation on why they should be have, you know, chemicals about the environment and all the things like that. That's whatever. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of medicines come out of China and the medicines that don't come out of China come from other countries where the supplies get it out of China. We need to get chemistry back in America. The war on drugs crushed chemistry in America. Culturally, politically, economically. All right, number one, obviously it's cheaper to go over there and the negative pollutants and toxins and exposure to people working on it is great. They want to put it over there, fine. Let's get over that one. But in America, in the culture, you can't play with chemicals. It's just not possible. So when you're a young kid, remember back in the day, people had mercury, even though it was bad for you. They had, you could go to the, like, you could go to like a Walmart or whatever the, what was it, Walgreens? You remember the old fashioned store. You get anything you want. Chemicals and chemistry sets with precursors and basis to experiment with chemicals, drugs, and medicine was available to the general public as a hobby. We no longer have that because of the war on drugs. We have that because Big Pharma wants a 
cap on that. They don't want that to be exposed. They don't want they don't want that base of knowledge to be widespread. The government with the drug the war on drugs and all that. We need to bring that back into the culture. Letting people I'm not talking about experiment with chemicals, but make it like a hobby. Like you're listening right now. Stop and think about, you probably had a liberal arts degree or you went to high school. How many of your friends went into chemical engineering? You know, obviously there's some that do, but a lot don't. And we need to get people interested in chemical engineering again. Let people experiment with you know, making these breakthroughs where it doesn't have to be in a crazy lab. Maybe there could be some deregulation about playing with chemicals to have more people doing vaccines and drugs. Obviously, you need to make it safe for the public, but maybe having chemistry and medicine, you know, experimenting with medical things, drugs, illegal or not illegal, back in the United States and have it more of an open conversation because of things like Corona. You know, there's there's been other people talking about why it's important for like consciousness, but you know what? That's fine and you can do whatever you want at Burning Man. We need to have people playing, we need to have more people playing with chemicals and chemistry and medicine at a young age as a hobby so that we have chemicals and viruses here. And the medical profession, obviously you need a high grade of standard. That's why we're the best in the world. But maybe also more people trained in first aid, basic understanding of pharmacy drugs, basic understanding of how to care for yourself, where that, listen, in Italy right now, the next segment we're going to talk about Italy, all right? But in Italy right now, think about this. You need to be a registered nurse. It takes, what, five, six, seven years. You need to be a doctor. It takes 10, 15 years. When you're in a small community, when you're in a society where everyone has liberal arts degrees, they work on selling ad impressions and they want to write woke copy to get clicks to get paid. Or even, you know, you're just trying to sell stocks and bonds or real estate for the best prices. You're not like you're you're facilitating a market, but you're not creating or like having a specific like in the road deviation of like what is like there's a different set of value on that. So my point is that medical professionals, when you're in a small environment and one or two of them die from an epidemic, it will expand exponentially spread because you can't just replace a registered nurse. You just can't replace a doctor. They're extremely important. So the the upsides, the two upsides to part one, take our, take it away from China. Take away this, this global supply chain, manufacturing, chemical situation away from China, spread our liability and spread our assets around the globe for a global supply chain because this is going to happen again. And then number two, maybe a cultural shift in America that these professions really need to come back, these manufacturing really needs to come back and uh, not have a such a tight gatekeeping on chemistry, medicine, 
and people experimenting and have like not the ramifications that if people are experimenting with things and they find stuff out that they won't go to jail. Like, you know, what's his name? Albert Hoffman with LST. He just came on that, came, came up with that by accident because he was experimenting on other things at work and then tweaked it later. And then wasn't it penicillin? Wasn't that an experiment too? Or something that they they at least expected? So that's that's one. All right. Part two, we're going to follow up. We're going to talk about Italy. And we're going to talk about credit and the, the domestic situation in America for businesses, big cities, small business people, the gig economy, you name it. That's what we're going to be doing about part two. But first, I have to sell you something. Okay, so we're back for part two. Number one, we basically focused on China. We talked a little bit about we wanted to move into the domestic conversation of America. Obviously, chemistry out of China, which means back into America. But before we talk about America, I want to talk about Italy a little bit. Italy, full on, full, full on shutdown countrywide. It's in the European Union. So that also has a lot of ramifications because, you know, the EU, they try to maintain guidelines across all borders. That's why it is the EU. Um, but just very quickly to note some of the upsides about the Italy situation. So let's talk about the downsides first. Italy shut down. Bad situation. And they don't want people moving around. It's not good. We basically are getting exported, you know, communism to basically EU. They're doing Chinese-style crackdowns. Um, but to just a couple of things to note, and then also, also the caretakers over there, I guess, are being overrun, which is not a good thing. If you go on Twitter right now and you look up stuff from Italy about coronavirus, it is not good. The reaction is not great. Um, so that's an issue, but, uh, the big thing is that Italy actually has one of the oldest populations or sorry, biggest populations of old people in the world. And I think that has a lot to do with the situation there. Also in general, they've been having a huge immigration problem, uh, overloading healthcare systems. And if you've just been in Italy in a while, they are pretty casual about things. So I think they're trying to wrap that up uh, and just be a little bit more tight, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but basically, this is, I think there's been a, a turn. You know, we had a big turn for globalism for a while. Nationalism in a certain good and bad way has been up for a while. And I think this is going to kind of upend a lot of things about maybe the EU, maybe about these partnerships like the trans-pacific partnership and just like sharing borders and all the things i think that uh you know globalism still is going to be super positive we need that but it's going to put a check on it so i think that that's a good thing we should put a check on just complete open borders and instead of moving into a future of just like one person one globalist world you know, maybe we can all have a situation where we we're forced to get along because of a 
bigger existential threat, which is disease. People, you know, Ronald Reagan talked about aliens, but we have a bigger existential threat of virus and health that could maybe focus and switch our focus away from like combating each other and having um, divisions that divide us, but having divisions that help us because we need to maintain some power over this virus while also keeping people's identity that isn't getting like totally lost or washed in globalism. So that's the benefit. I think that's a kind of a benefit that I've been seeing about that situation Um, in Italy. So let's transition into America. So domestically, uh, you know, we started out with Washington. It was really bad. That was the first real outbreak center. And it had to do with elderly persons' homes. And that's not good. You know, they're at the most at risk. And that's sad. And I'm not a big fan of... I'm not a big fan of older person homes. Obviously, you have hospice, which is different. But you have elderly persons' homes. I have lots of experience with elderly people's homes, hospice, and then also... In these kind of social clubs for older people or people who need help. Let's put it that way. And I think those things are great. And you need those things from the government. Um, but also, you know, maybe this will be a transition of when people get older, maybe they should stay with their family. You know, I mean, I know it's convenient and some people definitely need the care. It's like undeniable. But there's been a transition. There's been uh, for the last 20 years, 30 years of putting old people in old people's homes. I think obviously some of it's probably fun, to be honest. Like you get to hang out with people your own age. You don't have to deal with your stupid ass kids. You don't have to deal with your grandkids all the time. But you get to see them when you want. And maybe you live in Florida. Um, but I, I, but all jokes aside, maybe that it's something that because like cruises or old people's homes, they become super spreader areas that maybe we might think second, have a second look, second thought about should we be putting old people, all these old people in the old people's home when there's potential of these pandemics. And those are the first places they are going to hit. And, uh, you know, there's been other talks about devaluing the elderly in our society that is run by Facebook and millennials and Gen Zoomers or Zers or whoever, is that maybe there'll be a little bit more thoughtfulness and appreciation for the elderly when something like this, like an epidemic kind of targets them and they're hit the hardest because basically right now they're saying people over 55 or 60 I think it's 65 are most at risk and like they were saying and I think it was Italy the number the average age of people who are infected is 80 years old because there's a lot of old people there so that's one maybe a little transition in the elderly home care situation and a transition in our appreciation for them, maybe reunica- reunification of the family. Okay. Number two for America. I think this is a big thing that it's always talked about on like entrepreneurial channels or people like Gary V is that 
we've been in this massive gig economy and people are benefiting from it a lot. People are able to have a lot more freedom, work on the internet, um, maybe work two or three small high paying jobs and you can have some freedom or you can work for yourself or you can have a small business and you can not go to an office every day or you can telecommute. Um, But the issue with that is, you know, what happens when you have a hundred million people who are all doing the gig economy? They're not only they don't have a lot of savings, um, they make good income maybe, but the rents are high, their operations are high, and they all of a sudden the stock market crashes and maybe they have their life savings wrapped up in there or the biggest thing is a credit crunch. What if people stop issuing credit for businesses because you can't make payroll or you know that your specific, like a lot of jobs, you know, they gig jobs. Like let's just take something for instance, like video editor. Video editors get paid a lot of money. They really do. But if an office building is shut down for three weeks because of a virus and only only essential personnel can attend, what do you do? What do you do? And then say, for instance, you have account receivables. And then what happens then if those people can't pay because their supply chain is affected and they can't get X, Y, Z and they didn't make as many sales and now they can't pay you. So I think this is kind of putting a halt on people who are, the economy has been so good for so long that, and the internet has been so amazing for a lot of people. And all of a sudden you can't operate a business anymore. So it makes people be more streamlined. I'm not trying to be negative about that, but for businesses and small, a lot of small businesses, gig economy specifically because of the share economy, Uber, and like, you know, people are, uh, a lot of people are involved in that industry. And then, (coughs) sorry, Corona right there. You might be strapped. Anyways, you might, the point is, Businesses on margin. So basically not having the impact of a major event that's happened in the last 10 years that puts a reality check on your business and your finances. Okay, so we're talking about people's businesses. That's one. And then we want to go to the individual. We are a huge debt-laden society. Household credit card debt has been on the rise for many, many years. I actually, I actually read a report that the last like two or three, two or three years, two or three years, something like that, that it's been reducing, but we've been used to a high income economy and a really good uh, job market. And that's very different from also the debt. We have a lot of debt, household debt. We have a lot of student debt, auto debt, there's just a lot of debt out there. And if the income and if these the combination of the internet and the gig economy plus a strong general tax cut economy making very large wages for lots of people, when that gets 
shut down and the there's a temporary halt on global supply chains, businesses tighten their boots and then people's households tighten their boots. So maybe that's putting in a check on people who are over leveraged in their personal life or not or just expecting the economy to run on full blast for an extended amount of time getting into the comfort zone of full blast full power and then that translates lastly to the economy the larger economy we need to remember that three weeks ago we were at all-time high after all-time high after all-time high and there was something weird or there was a, a feeling that that like you know numbers add up and that's good uh but the European economy has had slowed up, has had issues for a while. The Chinese economy had issues for a while. And then this specific event kind of brought all these things to light. Even if the American economy is doing great, it this event brought all these things to light. So I think that's a pretty good thing that maybe these valuations on startup companies or companies in the stock market that had nowhere else to go. Could they call it Tina? There is nothing else available than buying stocks that they were maybe overvalued and it needed a little bit of a pullback before the economy was just roaring too hard. I heard an interview with somebody from the CDC talking about what they what financial experts were thinking and they were basically caught totally off guard about something like this which is unsettling which is not good it's not good we should be prepared more and then that's for the budgetary fiscal part of your business or your personal life in general have more savings just be more self-sufficient uh, and then supply things like, listen, you should have some extra supplies in your pantry for a rainy day. Everyone who knows me, I got a go bag ready to go all the time. I'm lucky enough and fortunate enough to have a car in a really crazy emergency. You won't be able to get over the bridges out of New York City. But I have ba- I have two bags ready to go to just pop, pop, boom, boom and get out. I think people, you know, listen, prepping is fun. I think people should be into camping and self-sufficient survival as a hobby and as something fun. I think it's a really good thing to be a part of. And it's just, there's no downside to it. So what, you have some stuff that lasts you 20 years and doesn't cost that much. You know how to sleep outside in a really cold night. You know how to find north with moss on the trees. You know how to put your head up hill so you don't get blood rush to your brain while you're sleeping or like how to find clean water and then also just being having you know extra supplies give that extra sugar to your neighbor it's really important and then for the last the last thing i think i want to talk about is the government personal people you know your personal life you should have just even if it's just for fun just know how to no survival skills, no CPR, no first aid, no just basic medical attention for yourself, no camping survival, have supplies ready. 
And then the government. This is the craziest part, I think. We spend so much money on military and policing and physical security, which I think is super important. I also think that it these grants and these this funding for private business through government contracts is really important because it spurs scientific innovation even though it's it sucks that it's like military like bombs and planes and stuff but we need that stuff and then it also trickles down into the it trickles down into the general economy right i think it's really crazy to think about that we don't really have a huge stockpile of medicines from the federal government from the cdc we don't have a huge stockpile of masks the state doesn't have huge stockpiles of hand sanitizer. The other day, Governor Cuomo said that they have a, a, their own brand of hand sanitizer that they just started making. We should have these things stockpiled because they're cheap and they don't cost that much, which is the craziest part about it. We spend like $500 million on a plane. You know how much medicine $500 million would get us? I like the analogy. There was a guy talking about how it's like you'd be hanging out on the beach and everything's nice, but there's a low pressure system off the shore and it might not hit you, but it could hit you. And it's just having like a little bit of extra water. In this case, having like face masks and, you know, maybe like funds or reliefs for healthcare workers and treating the healthcare workers properly, make sure everyone has supplies. I think it's really important. And then also just letting people know that there's local divisions of health care providers that can that are ready and able like they have hand. It's like in New York right now, hand sanitizers sanitizers are very hard to come by. It's something that they should be like, hey, it if you don't need to have your own brand, but they could just be like, hey, we got a lot of it available. Don't you worry. So let's see. I hope this is just the start of the end, but it could be just the very beginning of a large, large wave. Let's see what happens. Um, but I thought that this video or this, this is a, actually just a podcast, this one, that this podcast would just talk about the benefits of a big event like this. And the big upside is that this isn't like some malintentioned force that happened to the best of our knowledge it's not like a 9-11 where people attacked us and then we have this enemy out there it's not like 2008 where the credit markets were in really bad shape and we were had so many loans it was just like a house of cards waiting to happen this was something that we got too cocky about and we knew was a possibility but we didn't take it as seriously as we should have. And maybe that's a reality check that everyone needed to put the roaring 20s into perspective. I hope it's all true. I hope it's not some government conspiracy by the media or the Chinese government. I really just think it's no one likes to prepare until it happens. And hopefully that this one will be, you know, this is going to happen in the future again, no doubt. But this is maybe a case for the Chinese government letting up on chemicals and pollution and deregulation of their total economy. Maybe this is 
a wake-up call for America to redistribute their risk across the world for global production and all economies. Maybe this is a wake-up of there's an existential existential threat of a virus that um, will focus instead of enemies against each other. You know, if the whole human race could focus on the enemy, the enemy within. Oh, that's kind of crazy to think about the enemy within a virus versus each other. It could be like the new space race where everyone's just trying to help each other survive. And then also in the same combination of working together, retaining our individualism because now people are wary of globalism and just free trade and free movement everywhere, you know? So it's kind of goes hand in hand. And then in America, maybe we help the old people. The old people stop putting them in old people homes. Maybe businesses and the gig economy gets a shock to saying, hey, what happens if I don't get any gigs this month? The private individual, maybe you have a great job or you have whatever's going on with you in a high income economy, low interest economy. So people are carrying lots of debt while also making lots of income. Maybe put that in in a reality check and say, maybe I should make better financial decisions. Maybe I can't rely on, maybe I shouldn't be so optimistic about two, three months in the future and just have a better books, better recording, better books for your personal finance and your business finance if you're a gig person and then also if you're running any business. And then finally, get back to nature. If you need to know survival, you should know survival, CPR, first aid, how to get out of a city, how to help someone else, what kind of basic medicines you'll need survival of camping maybe you need to camp how to purify water what happens if there's just a total disruption and then the freaking government stop spending so much on military maybe you'll take it more seriously now and have more stockpiles of medicine and more medical gear to help our very important medical professionals who are keeping this at bay and are really at the front lines that's it for now i hope you enjoy this podcast it's at marcus amadeus online twitter youtube instagram at marcus amadeus we do a weekly sometimes bi-weekly podcast if you're looking for an apartment to buy sell or rent in new york city just give me a call that's what i do this is i do this podcast for fun and then i sell real estate i do that for fun as well but it also is my job that helps me do podcasting we have tons of information for you to help you be a more informed consumer and tune in next week. If you want to be on the podcast, message me at marcusamadeus.com. Bye. Have a good day.